Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 100 of the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. It's uh, pretty amazing to make it to the triple digits. It has taken a little while to get here due to some, you know, fits and starts and all that kind of stuff that goes along with doing a podcast ministry out of your local church. But uh, thanks to everyone for sticking around. Hey, I don't normally do this, but if you are listening on like Apple or Google or whatever the podcast app is, uh, go ahead and give this podcast a five-star rating. That will actually help people who are interested in theology and the practice of it to find this episode or find this particular podcast, and maybe they can benefit from it as well. As we continue to move through the creation ordinances, we come now to the final creation ordinance, and that is the creation ordinance of rest. And we find the actual text for the creation ordinance of rest, or the, I should say, the foundational verses for the creation ordinance of rest in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let me read those to you so that we can all get on the same page. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. In these three verses, we find the, the foundation for the idea of a rest day, all right? So I, I personally prefer to call this the creation ordinance of rest rather than the ordinance of the Sabbath. I understand that theologically the word Sabbath is used in the Old Testament to refer to this day. However, I think that for Christians, when we use the word Sabbath, or we talk about the Sabbath rest, it gives a bit of a false impression for us. We, we tend to think of the Sabbath, the Sabbath was for Jews, maybe, maybe that's not for me. And as we've mentioned with all the other creation ordinances, these ordinances are for all people of all time. A, a day of rest one day of rest built into the seven-day cycle of week, of the week is an appropriate practice for everyone who has ever lived. And so I prefer to call it the, the ordinance of rest rather than the ordinance of the Sabbath. Now, if you were to go and look in maybe some older commentaries or other resources, you would find it called the ordinance of the Sabbath. And just know in your own mind that we're talking about the same thing. I like the ordinance of rest better, and I like the word rest day better because it communicates well to a 21st century English audience what we're talking about here or what it is the Lord actually instituted after he finished his creative work in Genesis chapter 1. All right, so let's talk about rest, okay? Rest is something that can only be understood when it is contrasted with work. That makes sense, right? 
rest and work are basically opposite sides of a spectrum. There really isn't a in-between. It's what it's something that our culture thinks is very bad. This is a binary system. You're either resting or you're working. You are working or you're resting. There's no like halfway work or halfway rest. It's either all or nothing kind of a thing. Now, that being said, to, to be working doesn't mean that you're necessarily uh, heavily sweating and panting and doing this type of physical labor that is going to um, result in you not being able to move the next day. No, that's we're talking about the work that you would do that would provide for you and your family. That's what we refer to when we're referring to work. And the work that God did was obviously not physically taxing for God because God is all-powerful. God is the supreme being in the entire universe. Uh, in fact, he exists outside of the universe. He is, he's the Almighty. And so for God, the work that he did was not laborious. God was not actually tired from his work. But he, he did work. And so work is an activity that has a certain end result. Okay? But then when God finished his work, he rested. And resting is also an activity, and it has a different end result than work. Okay? So what kind of work did God do? Well, Genesis chapter 1, the first six days of creation, record for us that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in there on these uh, six days, these first six days. So there was... um, the sun, the moon, the plant life, the animal life, human beings, uh, the stars, the moons. He created the earth. He created the heavens. All of that, all of that happened on days one through six. Then on day seven, God rested from the work that he had done. And God was not resting so that he could recover from this work. God was resting to provide an example and a pattern for mankind. This is very important to understand. God still performed activity on his rest day, but it was different activity than his creative working power. So let's take a look and answer the question, well, what did God do during his rest day? Okay, let's, let's take a look at this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Um, actually, we'll start in verse 16 to pick up the context. For by him, this is Jesus, in Colossians chapter 1, we're referring to Jesus. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, that really describes what Jesus did on days 1 through 6. But take a look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So there is a passive work that Christ has to do in order to maintain the order within the creation. Christ holds all things together. Now, we're not going to do a deep dive on what that means right now, but just know that that is a work or that is an activity. Let's say let's say it as an activity. That helps to keep the distinction in our mind. When we say Christ holds all things together, that is an activity that Christ performed that is different 
than his creative work that he did on days one through six. So on the rest day, Christ was actually doing something. He was holding all of creation together. He was maintaining the order of all that he had created. Now let's look at another passage, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Okay, and Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Here we have another verse confirming that Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. Again, the passive activity of Christ. Christ is doing something passively. I would say it's actively. It is an active work, but it's not something that is necessarily in the foreground of his thinking. It's kind of a in the background of his thinking, but he's still doing it. And, and this is really hard to fathom how Christ is able to hold all of creation together and still do other ministries at the same time. He still intercedes for us at the right hand of God. He is, um, you know, when he came to earth the first time, he was existing as a human being who uh, was also divine. And, and it seems that he was still performing this particular work while he was on earth during his earthly ministry. So, this is a, a passive work, but it is activity that Christ is doing. And all of this is to say that while God was resting on the seventh day, he wasn't inactive, right? God was resting from his normal, I shouldn't say normal creative work. He only created one time. God was resting from the pattern of work that he set forth in days one through six. And he was resting, but while he was resting, he was doing this other activity, okay? Now, I want to interject something here, okay? I want to interject that if you view Genesis chapter 1 and the six days that are found in Genesis chapter 1 as not literal days, then it makes this whole rest-work cycle illogical. Why is it illogical? It's illogical because how can we follow a pattern that's not actually a pattern that we would be able to Im imitate or emulate? Some scholars want to place a large gap between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Um, that's called the gap theory. Others want to see each day as representing an age with millions and millions of years. Others have other ideas of the creation. And as soon as you take Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 31, as soon as you take those and you say, well, these are not literal days, you have interrupted the ability of all human beings to understand this work-rest cycle that God established at the very beginning. And it is for this reason. Well, this is one of the reasons, but it is for this reason that we believe Genesis chapter 1 refers to six literal days. By viewing it as six literal days of creation with a seventh literal day of rest, these two chapters of Genesis have a strong impact upon the life of every person who has ever lived. Now, I think it's incumbent upon us to ask if this cycle is for the benefit of all mankind, 
what is it about the seventh day that is special or unique? What is it about this day of rest that is a blessing to all mankind? I, I believe there are some statements within the text of Genesis itself that talk about the importance of this day and the unique nature of it and the purpose of it from God's perspective. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, so we'll look back at Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. What does it say here? Verse 3, Then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. The seventh day is different from the other days of creation in two regards. Number one, it was the day where God rested from his work, and we've already talked about what he did during his rest day and why it's important to understand rest in contrast to work. But it was also the day that God blessed and sanctified. These are interesting phrases to talk about, for sure. How does God bless a day, and how does God sanctify a day? What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word that is translated blessed, when used of man, can denote a state of happiness. So, for example, Psalm 1.1, blessed, or how happy, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So when the word blessed is used of man or things that man enjoy, it can often mean happy. And it seems to, it seems best to understand this blessing of the seventh day as an attitude that ought to be cultivated for this day, right? The seventh day is a joyous day. The seventh day is the day that should bring happiness. It is a day where one is able to celebrate one's accomplishment of labors and enjoy the fruit of the labors and the refreshment of rest. Notice the refreshment of rest. You say, well, how do, how do we do that? How do we enjoy the refreshment of rest? Well, the, the rest, by not doing the normal labors that you would do during the other six days, the rest provides a mental break as well as a physical break for your mind and body, and it prepares you for the next cycle of work. I'm sure that we all have felt the stress and the strain of a long work week, and by the time the weekend rolls around, we were ready for the rest that was provided. We were ready to do something different with our time than what we had spent our week doing. I want to draw another uh, verse to your attention. Exodus chapter 31, this idea of refreshment is something that God himself enjoyed on the day of rest. In Genesis, or I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 31, in verse 15, God gives this command, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. And, and here I'm just going to interject this. Here's a good example of why I don't like calling this ordinance the ordinance of the Sabbath, because then it gives the indication that if you do some type of work on the Sabbath day, then you should be put to death. Those specific regulations for the Sabbath day were for the nation of Israel, not for believers today. So we don't want to cause any confusion. 
What we really want to get to, though, is verse 17. This is a covenant, okay? The day of rest, this seventh day, it is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever, says Yahweh God. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and he was refreshed. So one of the additional purposes of the Sabbath day is, or the rest day, is that you would experience refreshment, okay? God blessed this day. It is to be a day for joyous celebration. We ought to call it an attitude of joy over having a break from labor, and we should have the refreshment that is provided by this break from labor. We are refreshed. How are we refreshed? Well, we, in one way, get personal rest for our bodies and our mind, but a second way is that we we are supposed to worship, and then our souls are fed and nourished on this particular day. When our souls are nourished properly, then it strengthens our body, it strengthens our resolve, it strengthens our mind, and we are able to face another work week, um, probably with a better attitude than if we hadn't worshipped. So there's, a, there's an important aspect of the day of rest that should provide joy and refreshment. Now, one other thing that Moses writes about this day of rest in Genesis chapter 2 is that God sanctified it. God sanctified this day. Now, the word sanctify can mean make holy. That's how we often think of the word sanctify. The more basic meaning of sanctify is to be set apart. And I think that's what God intended by sanctifying the seventh day. This idea of a day being set apart fits better in the context than the idea of being made holy. And so, the seventh day is set apart by God for mankind for the specific purpose of having rest from work and refreshment of the body. Now, the mandate for worship that we discussed just a few moments ago is actually explained by God later and more specifically in what is known as the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11. Now, just because God explicitly explained that to Adam, or I'm sorry, to Israel in Exodus chapter 20, it doesn't mean that God did not explain it to Adam. In fact, we find in Genesis chapter 4 that there was a point in time when um, Adam and his sons went to offer sacrifices to the Lord God, to Yahweh God. And, and I happen to believe that that was the seventh day. They went on the seventh day to go offer those sacrifices. That makes logical sense, and it makes theological sense. And so I, I believe that God, um, though he doesn't communicate everything to us, the reader in the scriptures, there are things that he communicated to the people who he interacted with that would have maybe filled in some of these gaps that we have to draw conclusions about from putting other scriptures together. So God set apart this day for the purpose of rest and refreshment, and I believe that Adam followed God's ordinance and God's commandment very clearly. He followed it plainly. He followed it obediently. 
So how about you? Do you practice having a rest day? Do you take time away from work? Do you take time away from work to do something that is not work-related? Or at least not related to how you normally make money? I think that's the major question that we have to ask because, again, the purpose of this podcast is not just to talk about theology, but to talk about how we apply theology in a realistic and practical way in our everyday lives. And when we are confronted with this concept or this idea of the day of rest as an ordinance, as something that God established for all humanity, we have to ask ourselves, do I make time for a true rest day one day out of seven? It doesn't have to be the very last day of the week like it was for the nation of Israel. It could be the first day of the week if you're a Christian and you go and worship on Sunday and you take Sunday off as your rest day. That would be the first day of the week for you. Regardless of whether it's the first day of the week, the third day of the week, or the seventh day of the week, the principle is what's really important. Work six days, rest one day. Work six days, rest one day. I would challenge you. Do you get a day of rest? Do you practice this ordinance? If you don't, I would suggest trying it. Try it for a month. See how refreshed you really are after practicing a true rest day for a month. Well, next, next time we'll be back with some more information on other aspects of the creation ordinance of rest and what that might look like very specifically for those of us who live in basically a five-workday week society. What about those of us who only work five days a week? That's actually most of us. We only work five days a week. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting me for 100 episodes. I'm so grateful for all the encouragement and uh, thoughts and comments that I've received from this podcast. And may God bless you as you seek to put his truth into practice.